When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome into the Nick Ma Podcast, coming to you live from the AOI Studios, a.k.a. my basement office. If you're looking for the absolute best office furniture, like this great table, here, I'm going to knock on it, see if you can hear it. Oh, rock solid, baby. This great table I got in my pod room, or that made my, <laughs> that knocking made my, my dog bark, that's hilarious. Uh, or you want some new chairs. Uh, like the Aeron chair from Herman Miller that I'm currently sitting in, you got to check out AOI. The Aeron chair from Herman Miller is based on the latest research around the science of sitting, advancements in materials, manufacturing, and technology. I love this chair. Check out AOI on the web, AOICorp.com. That's AOICorp.com, or give them a ring at 402-896-5520. It is Monday, February 3rd, the day after the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Boy, I, I saw this this little nugget this morning that the San Francisco 49ers had a 95% chance of winning when it was 20 to 10 with 726 left in the fourth quarter. Ugh. <laughs> 95% chance of winning when it was 20 to 10. But Kansas City did what they do, man. They've been the comeback kids. They are explosive. And all of a sudden, wing, bang, boom. 31-20 ball game. Chiefs winning. Patrick Mahomes. I'm just full of nuggets to get this podcast started. Patrick Mahomes was 5-0 and this season when trailing by double digits, including 3-0 and in the postseason. I mean, holy shit. And the reality is the difference in that game, to me, was kind of the quarterbacks. Like, I didn't think Mahomes was, like, all-time great last night. That wasn't like, a, you know, when you're thinking about the five greatest Super Bowl performances from a quarter. No, I mean, I didn't think Mahomes was that, but he's better than Jimmy G was. And so often, that matters in the Super Bowl, you know? Like, whichever quarterback kind of plays better, that team usually wins. It was an amazing performance, fun Super Bowl. Commercials were good. Halftime show was good if you like booty shaking. <laughs> <laughs> I like J-Lo and Shakira, and it kind of fit with the, the Miami flavor. Um, but what's weird is, by the way, like, both just played old songs. You know, like, I always kind of viewed, and maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe I'd have to go back and, like, look at every who performed in every Super Bowl halftime spot. But, like, I always kind of viewed the Super Bowl halftime show as a snapshot into that moment of pop culture. You know, like whatever artist is really, really, really hot in that general moment, not necessarily that specific year, but like generally speaking. And while I like J-Lo and Shakira, like I wouldn't say they're at the top of the music world right now, right? Like J-Lo was big and like, you know, 20 years ago, you know, it, it's my hips don't lie and all that stuff. That was a while ago, right? It's just kind of weird in that regard. But of course I liked it. <laughs> I mean, of course I did, right? The big Shakira fan. Big Shakira fan. All right, I better move on before I say anything ridiculous. Um, this has been a th- this has been a crazy stretch for me travel wise. I've been all over the place with, with Fox calling games. I leave for DC tomorrow. Got Seton Hall at Georgetown on Wednesday night, which is going to be my seventh game in fourteen days. 
it's been crazy and I love it. Uh, I had an eye-opening moment the other day. I was, I, you know, you kind of making small talk with someone at the airport, like someone all of a sudden kind of like meandered next to me. And I was like, oh God, this person wants to talk. And, you know, I'm just like chit-chatting and this person goes, uh, you know, we're just talking. He's like, hey, so, so what do you like to do for fun? You know, like just, I don't know. Hey, what do you like to do for fun? And I like kind of sat for a second and like, my first thought was like, well, when you have a, when you're a parent, you have a four-year-old, like you're like, what you want to do doesn't really matter anymore. But I thought about it for a second and I said, I I love basketball. I love watching basketball. And the person said, oh, okay. What do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a college basketball analyst. And the person sat back and smiled and said, well, good for you. And just saying those two things kind of like, out loud, continue to drive home. Like, I know you guys get sick of hearing me say this, but I'm just, I'm so lucky. Like I have, I, tr- I for real have my dream job with being a college basketball analyst. Of course, I want to keep on rising and climbing and, and you know what I mean? Like I want more, I want bigger games, all that, all that stuff. But I'm not gonna lie. Like sometimes I have to pinch myself in these, it, it, when I'm getting ready to call these games, I just love it, man. I love, I love the whole process of it. I love preparing for the, the games. I love watching film. I love studying personnel. I love it all. I love it. It's just uh, like I always tell people: if I hit Powerball five hundred million tonight, like I would still like want to go to Seton Hall, Georgetown. <laughs> like I would. Like, oh, you won, man, five hundred million. What are you gonna do? It's like, I got a flight to DC tomorrow. I got Kevin Willard and Miles Powell taking on Mac McClung and you. It's what I want to do. You know, I love it. Um, okay, enough rambling. Let's get this pod rolling. On the pod today, mailbag. A little mailbag time. Figured it was a good time to. Fire up the old mailbag. Great questions on Facebook, Twitter, email. But before before we get into some of those, can I, I want to give some some thoughts on uh, Nebraska and Creighton hoops. Um, how about them them Creighton Blue Jays? I just saw the twenty first in the AP poll this week. Hell of a road win at Villanova. I mean, think about it. Villanova was hot. They had won seven in a row. They had won. I think 13 of the last 14 games or 12 of their last 13 games, whatever it is. And Creighton came into Philadelphia and controlled the whole game, the whole thing. Uh, And, you know, the reality is Creighton does match up well with Villanova. Both teams want to play small ball, play a perimeter-oriented game with basically five guys outside uh, on the three-point line. And Creighton's really good in a game like that. Um, Really good. So a couple of things. You know, the the X factor for Creighton's season is starting to get it rolling, and that's Denzel Mahoney. Every game... That guy's just getting better and better, and and most importantly, he's getting more and more comfortable within the system and framework of how Creighton wants to play. He he's now been in double figures six straight games, and Denzel Mahoney in this six game stretch, Mahoney's averaging fifteen points per game and he's shooting fifty five percent from the floor, and he's getting to the free throw line, and he was excellent at Villanova, twenty one points, eight of twelve from the field. And he's the he's like the linchpin for Creighton's ability to really play small ball. In order to play small ball, you have to have one player that can truthfully guard multiple positions, but most importantly, hang in there in the post and on the glass. And that's Mahoney. And then obviously on the other end, he's a matchup problem offensively, right? Like he can guard fours and fives and 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 hang in there in the post because he's got the strength. And he can guard wings because he's got the quickness for it. Um, and, and you think about on offense, like who do you have guard him? Who, who you, you know? 
Gonna have a, gonna put a, a big guy on him. Well, he's gonna drag him out and either drive him or shoot threes. You're gonna put a guard on him. Well, he's gonna post up, draw fouls, and get shots right at the rim. He's just the the perfect type of player from a skill set standpoint that allows Creighton to play small. And and now all of a sudden you add Mahoney, a guy that's been in double figures in every game he's played in except two. All of a sudden, you add Mahoney, who's a really good scorer, to the backcourt of Marcus Zagorowski and Mitch Ballock and, and Tyson Alexander. That's four guys who can all really, really, really score. I mean, go through it. Just the, look at across the landscape of college basketball. How many teams have four guys that could all go for 25 to 30 points? There's not, I mean, most teams have like one or two. And like their third option, if that guy has 12, you're like, but tell you what, Johnny third option was outstanding tonight. I mean, they got four dudes who can kick your ass scoring the ball. I mean, it's just, I mean, put yourself in the shoes of an opposing coach and you're getting ready to play Creighton and defend and, and you know, you got to get the defensive game plan ready to, to guard Creighton. Think about all that you have to worry about. First of all, you got to worry about Creighton's pace and transition offense. Then you go to personnel. Who's guarding Mahoney? You want to put a bigger guard on him. You focusing on Marcus Zagorowski? Okay, good luck with Tyson Alexander and Mitch Ballock. You you want to key on on key, key in on Mitch Ballock? Okay, well, good luck with Zagorowski and Tyson Alexander. On and on and on and on. You can't just focus on one thing. You can't be like, take this guy away, gonna be in good shape. Yeah. You know, like the reality is I love Butler, but if you shut down Kamar Baldwin, you're in pretty good shape. You know, you can sell out to that. I love I love Marquette. You you'd sell out to Marcus Howard. You're in pretty good shape. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that makes Creighton difficult. They're just a a nightmare to defend. And with Mahoney getting it going, man, it just makes them that much harder. Now, listen, I, let's not get you know lose our minds here. This isn't the 2017 Golden State Warriors or anything like that. They have their deficiencies. I mean, obviously, they're not an overly deep team. They're small. They're undersized. They're not very physical. They're a good but not great defensive team. But what they do, they do extremely well. And they are really tough to guard. And defensively, they make you uncomfortable with – how they will just straight up play off certain guys and dare certain non-shooters, non-scorers to, to make plays and shoot, which can really disjoint some teams. So it's weird. They don't make you uncomfortable in the way that like St. John's makes you uncomfortable with pressure and trapping and all that stuff, but they make you uncomfortable by giving you shots that you don't really want to shoot, which flusters some teams, Right. So, you know, I just like how this team's progressing and coming together, and I think there's a collective grit and toughness to this team that does feel different than some of the other teams the past few years. And now with the emergence of Denzel Mahoney combined with one of the best backcourts in the country, you got yourself a really dangerous team. I think Coach McDermott's done a great job with this group, and, you know, I've said all along, as long as they stay healthy, this could be a really fun march. But we'll see. There's more in the mailbag on Creighton. Nebraska basketball obviously has fallen on hard times. They've lost seven in a row, and I saw this nugget in the World Herald, and I think Hale Varsity had it. Nebraska has it, Nebraska has faced a deficit of 14 points or more in seven straight games. So this season is obviously kind of tough to digest and assess 
for a lot of people. I stand by all the things I've been saying for a couple months now. I believe that this team has improved. I think they are a they're better than they were in November and December, but the difference is they're now playing better teams. So you can improve. But when you're now playing, you know, Indiana and Michigan and Penn State and Rutgers and on and on and on, the results might not totally indicate improvement. Just like next year with Nebraska football. Nebraska might be a better football team than they were last year and only have like one more win. So I I think they're getting better, but I I, I obviously it's been a frustrating stretch here with the, the seven game losing streak. But I feel like I've been pretty consistent with this team and with Fred Hoiberg. I've told you I'm all in on Fred Hoiberg. I think he's going to get it done here. There is just a reality that exists when it comes to this roster, guys. I don't know how many times we have to have this conversation. You know, like this roster is just really limited. I've said over and over that this this Nebraska team, they have to be damn near perfect to just be in the game. Not win the game, not win the game by 10, 15, 20 points, just to be in it. I think that's why you see the wheels fall off at times. You know, like they'll hang in there, they'll hang in there, hang in there, and then all of a sudden you're like, you look up and you're and Nebraska's down 17 points. And you're like, what? They were just in it. Well, that's because it's like they're, you know, have you ever seen someone like hanging from a cliff? It's like they're hanging, they're hanging, they're hanging, and then just boom. Like... It's just because, and that's just their margin. Like they let, if it slips up a little bit, it can be night, night. And sometimes, you know, when I look at this Nebraska team, sometimes it's not just about your weaknesses, but it's where your weaknesses exist and who you are playing and whether or not they can really expose them. Let me ask you a series of questions, and I'm kind of going to pause after after I'm going to give you a chance to kind of like answer them in your head. What shot is a huge part of Fred Hoiberg's offensive system? The the three ball, right? The three-point line. Okay, would you consider this to be a really good three-point shooting team? I, I wouldn't. How many guys do they have on their on that team that like when they get open and they shoot a three, you're like, that's in. Okay, so there's one. But here are the big ones. Here are the big, 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 big ones. Where is the biggest flaw or weakness with this roster? Size, right? Size, physicality, strength, down low in the post. They are undersized and they're young and they have a disadvantage in the post. Okay. Which conference is the best big man conference in the country? Which conference has the the best pool of big men? The Big Ten. Brutal. Of all the years to have major issues in the post, this year is a killer given how the Big Ten is built with Garza and Kofi Coburn and Daniel Oturu and Caleb Wesson and Johnson and Jalen Smith and Teske and Xavier Tillman and Williams and Harms. Like, I mean, literally every single night you're taking on like a really good big man. 
So it's kind of the perfect storm. The Big Ten is a monster. The Big Ten is a monster down low. And Nebraska's biggest weakness is their lack of size and their youth inside. They get exposed every night. There are no nights off or areas of relief inside right now for Nebraska. So, again, it's not just about your weaknesses. It's it's where do they exist and who are you playing to expose those things? So, you know, this team's just, you know, they're inexperienced, they're limited, they don't shoot the three ball well, and you can recombine all that. You know, you got what you got this season. You know, with all that said, you do hope to see a team continue to fight because I, I do think that's an important regardless of the situation, right? But I'm not worried about anything moving forward because sometimes you could be like, oh, man, Nick, what about next year? Well, think about next year. The vast majority of the guys that are playing right now won't be next year. Who you think about next year's core group? Like I would guess next year's core group right now on paper: Cam Mack, Shamil Stevenson, Delano Banton, Derek Walker, Teddy Allen, uh, Lat Mayan, and then you have guys like playing a a much lesser role: Burke and Ivan Udralgo and Kevin Cross. So the reality is, with the game on the line, it's going to be a different set of dudes out there next year. It's going to be a different roster and one that is more talented and more equipped for success in the Big Ten. So there you go. That's kind of my thought on Nebraska basketball right now. That's that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, let's fire up the old mailbag. Again, I, I put out a tweet, getting some questions on Twitter, put it up on Facebook, said you can email me. So let's kind of hammer through a handful of these things. Uh, let's start on Twitter. Uh, let's start with my uh, my cousin Scott. Uh, tweets at me and says, uh, "What play by play haven't you worked with that you would love to call a game with?" Um, I've worked with a lot of great ones, a lot of really talented dudes. Uh, but I would say that there are two that come to mind. I mean, I, it, the the first one is Gus Johnson. I, it would be I would be tickled to sit next to Gus and hear him, you know, spout out his his great calls and his excitement and be able to kind of mesh my style with his. So Gus Johnson would be one. And then, you know what, you know, who else would be, be fun. Matt Schick. I'm not sure if you guys have noticed this, but Schicky, Schicky calls games for ESPN. He was on the call the other day. You should listen to it. He had a Tulsa hit a game winner at the buzzer. Schick was on the call, killed it, had a great call. But man, would it be fun? I've done a lot of things with Schick in my life, but we've never called a basketball game together. If Shicky and I could share the headsets together, that'd be that'd be fantastic. So th- those two come to mind. Uh, my boy Matt DeMarinas of White and Blue Review. You guys should all follow Matt. You should read his stuff on White and Blue Review. He does a great job covering Creighton. He tweets at me and says, uh, Nick, which part of the Kobe tragedy hit harder? The sudden loss of the childhood icon or the hashtag girl dad tributes considering how relatable and genuine they were to the way he was living post-basketball? That's hard to choose. I mean, it's honestly both. You know, like it's, you know, the childhood icon thing is real. I think everybody can relate to that. Everybody has that that figure growing up that is just so influential um, on your your mind and your heart and, and whatever it is that you kind of daydream about and aspire to be. Like Kobe was that. Oftentimes when I was dribbling by myself and playing in my driveway, like I was Kobe, you know. 
I was Kobe. I was scowling. I mean, if you haven't listened to Bo Rudenai's uh, tribute to Kobe Bryant podcast, you know, those guys, like my friends used to like have interventions with me, like Nick, stop acting like Kobe. Stop walking around on the court like Kobe. Stop doing the scowl. Stop. I had this Kobe backpedal that was good. It was all that stuff. So it's, I mean, it's like, it's hard when someone, you know, like your, your childhood heroes, they, they become like superhuman to you or superheroes to you. Like they're indestructible. And when they die, it's like, whoa. And then obviously with having a daughter and watching how Kobe's been with with his daughters, in particular Gigi, that that hurts, you know? I mean, it, so it's it's hard to choose. Like what's what's been so cool is the vast majority of what has been discussed about Kobe after his death hasn't really been on specific basketball stuff. Have you noticed that? Like it's been more about his work ethic and his mentality and then how he was as a father. Isn't that kind of cool? There hasn't been a ton of talk about like this championship and that championship and his crossover or his jump shot or his on-ball defense. Like it's you haven't heard a lot of like that talk. Sure there's been a little bit, but it's it's more about Kobe the person the mentality he had as a worker, the work ethic he had, and then Kobe Bryant, the dad. And that's what's so cool to hear about the stories about Kobe Bryant, the dad, is it has humanized Kobe on a totally, on on just a completely different level, you know? Where sometimes these guys, you know, it's hard to look at them as just regular dudes, but it's cool to hear about Kobe just being like the re- like doing dad stuff that like hell I can relate to, right? But when when the conversations go to Kobe the the how, his mentality and Kobe the dad, like it makes sense why he's had such a hold on everybody's hearts. But man, am I the only one that's I can't shake this man like. It's been over a week and I can't stop thinking about it. Like it, it is kind of like, it's always there. It may not be like what I'm totally focusing on, but it's like, it's always on my mind, his death and all that stuff. Like I'm the only one that's having a hard time with it. Like I'm having a really hard time with it. And I've been in the, you know, I, I'm sure like you guys, I've gone down the YouTube rabbit hole watching old clips and all that. It's just been a rough week. I thought the Lakers, uh, did a did a great job honoring the honoring him the other day and and I don't know how Kobe or LeBron and those guys went out and played a game after honoring Kobe like that like thought it was well done but man this one's gonna this one is gonna hurt for a while it's gonna really really hurt for a while I love this question this is from uh, M N Husker it says Nick who would you choose to have speak on behalf of Kobe when he's inducted into the Hall of Fame this fall boy. That a good question, and I th- I've been I've been thinking about it, and I think it should be Michael Jordan. If you stop, like Shaq, eh, I don't know. I could maybe see Phil Jackson, but eh, like Phil and Kobe are, you know, like there's definitely he was he's his Zen master and all that stuff, but they were kind of they, they were built a little bit different. Like I think it needs to be Jordan. I think it makes the most sense because they are like, let's be, we always say like Kobe was the closest thing to Michael. Well, that goes the other way. Michael was the closest thing to Kobe in terms of their, I mean, same size, same build, same uh, mentality. Like they're so similar. How they think, how they're wired, how they compete, 
I think the closest thing we could get to hearing Kobe Bryant's acceptance speech and true thoughts on his career and his basketball mind would be from the mind of Michael Jordan. Right? Like, I just close my eyes and I think about I think about Jordan going to the podium at the Hall of Fame and like accepting on behalf of of Kobe and like I, that just feels right. Like it wouldn't feel like Shaq. Eh. I mean, I get they're always linked, but I I'd, I would choose Jordan. There's a YouTube video out there of Kobe and Jordan and how similar their games were and like. They'll have Jordan shooting a fadeaway and then Kobe shooting the exact same fadeaway from the same spot. Like it's, it is mesmerizing. It's almost eerie. It's amazing. So that, I think Jordan would be the guy that I would choose. Jordan would be the guy that I would choose to, to give Kobe's acceptance speech. Um, at Hilltop alum tweets at me and says, uh, what's the path for Creighton to make the sweet 16 in March? First of all, I'm gonna. I've said it all year. First of all, stay healthy. Got to stay healthy. Second of all, keep taking care of business now, like they've been doing. Because I think you know, I, I always get out of that seven, eight, nine, ten seed range to avoid a one or a two seed in the second round. You know, right? Like usually, if you're in the eight, nine game, it's hard to get out of the first round, or rather, out of that first weekend. It's just hard. Now, I will say this: if there ever was a year to take down a one or a two seed in the second round this year, this is the year, right? Like, I don't think there's a team that anybody's just terrified of when you look across the landscape of college basketball. Don't get me wrong. There are some teams that would give Creighton issues, but it's not like there is a like an on-another-level dominant team this year. There really isn't. But for Creighton, you know, and this this could get expanded to anybody. I, I know people get tired of this, but they they need a favorable matchup, right? A team with a really great dynamic big man would be problematic. I think a team that would act, that plays zone would actually be not ideal, as as crazy as that sounds. I think zone can give Creighton issues, or a team that's that's built like San Diego State, super long and athletic in multiple spots, give Creighton problems. But you know what? We always think about it like just in one direction with matchups. You know what? Creighton's a nightmare matchup for teams too, right? Like they're a really difficult team to guard for all the reasons I said a couple minutes ago. So it goes both ways. The The other thing is this. I do think one of the things that's important in terms of a matchup, I think Creighton facing a team that has a player or two they can help off of is huge. Remember I told you a little bit ago that Creighton does a good job of making teams uncomfortable and is straight up like not guarding guys on, on the three-point line? That's why that is so important is that provides Creighton's, like they then can mask their lack of size and, and physicality in the post because they just add an extra body sitting in the lane, Right. So they're, they can plug the lane, help on the post, and be more in, the, in position to rebound. So if they were to play a team that they had to, there wasn't anybody on the floor that they could just punk and play off of, like if they had to, if they had to respect everybody shooting, that that would expose, that would be problematic too. So there's a lot to it. And then you know, the, in terms of the past of the Sweet Sixteen, I've I've said this, and you can go check the tape. I've said this since before the season. I think ultimately this team is going to go as far as Marcus Zagorowski takes them. 
I get it that you know Creighton has three other great weapons and Mitch Ballock and, and Tyson Alexander and Denzel Mahoney, but Marcus Zegarowski is the guy. He's the man. He's the MVP. If he plays well and is rolling, look out. So there you go. I think this is absolutely a potential Sweet 16 team. There's a lot that goes into it, though. A lot. Uh, Brian uh, says, current Big East power rankings, please. All righty. Boy, a lot of crazy things have happened. You know, over the weekend, the top team, the top three teams in Big East all lost at home. Butler lost at home to Providence. Obviously, Nova lost to Creighton. And then Xavier went into Seton Hall and beat Seton Hall. And it looked like Quincy McKnight got banged up. Not sure if there's been any official diagnosis on what happened with McKnight's knee. Uh, but if I had to say right now, Big East power rankings. At number one, I'm not I'm not going to punt on Seton Hall. They're still number one. I still think Seton Hall. Now, the McKnight thing is important. If McKnight's hurt, that's a big, big blow. Like, if he is out for the year, ugh, that's brutal. But I still think Seton Hall is a top 10 team. I think they're a team that's good enough to go to the final four as long as they're, you know, McKnight's in the equation, all that stuff. They're still number one to me. Number two, I'm going to put Creighton. I am I think, I, listen, I've kind of been a believer in this team from the jump. I think they showed what they can do on the road at Villanova. Uh, I think when you take into consideration who's playing the best right now, I think Creighton's right there. So I'll put Creighton at two. At three, I'll put Villanova. I mean, not ready to freak out. Obviously, they they had won seven in a row. They had won you know, 13 of the last 14 games. Uh, that team has continued to get better. Colin Gillespie is emerging into being a star. Jay Wright kind of talked to me at the beginning of January, like, ah, we're, you know, we're still trying to figure out you know, who we can rely on each night. I think Gillespie's becoming that guy. So I'll put Villanova at three. And number four, I think I'm going to put Marquette. This team's getting better and better and better. I had their crazy double overtime win against uh, Xavier on the road where Marcus Howard left the game after getting elbowed in the nose. And Kobe McHugh and Sakar Annam took over. Uh, this team is, you know, Howard is a, a nightmare with how he can score. And now they got shooters towing the arc everywhere with Brendan Bailey and all those guys. Uh, I, I think this Marquette team's kind of coming along. At number five, I'll put Butler. They, they really need to get Aaron Thompson back. He's missed three straight games with a sprained wrist. And I think they've been kind of fortunate to win two of the three games. Um, you know, they're... they're they put so much pressure on Kamar Baldwin to kind of do everything that if he has a rough night, which he did against Providence, they have a hard time scoring. But this team is still, you know, a really connected, smart, uh, on a mission type of team. So I'll put Butler at five. At six, I'll put Providence, um, team that no one wants to play, man. They they got they're big, they're physical, and if they can, you know, they're kind of let me go go check the scores. They've been in every game, and it's kind of whether or not Ed Cooley told me before the game, like. Listen, we're right there every game. This is whether or not we can hit a timely shot late. And, like, it's true. They couldn't against Villanova. It was Creighton that kind of made the timely shots on the road against Providence. But against Butler, you know, they hit timely shots. So I'll put Providence at six. I got Xavier at seven. They're, you know, they have their issues, but that's a hell of a win on the road at Seton Hall. At eight, I'll put Georgetown. Nine, St. John's, and ten, DePaul. DePaul's been really disappointing, man. I really thought that... They had kind of turned a corner, but uh, you know they're they're still kind of fighting the whole uh, demons of doubt. It looks like at the end of games, but so there you go. Those are my biggest power rankings in review. Uh, at number one, Seton Hall. Two, Creighton. Three, Villanova. Four, Marquette. Five, Butler. Six, Providence. 
Seven, Xavier. Eight, Georgetown. Nine, St. John's. Ten, DePaul. Um, one more Twitter question before we get to Facebook. Daniel uh, tweets at me and says, Hi, Nick. Marcus Zagorowski has been a little off from shooting slash finishing at the rim uh, standpoint compared with where he was to start the season. Points are not coming as easy for him. What can Mac do to free him up when other teams put bigger guards on him like Sadiq Bay? Well, first of all, I think, again, it goes at like when, when competition goes up, like things get harder, right? It's a little bit easier to score 30 on, you know, UT Rio Grande Valley than it is Butler. You know, or it's a little easier to to score 25 against Cal Poly than it is against Nova. So there is an element of that. Um, I also think there's an element of like, he's no longer a a secret, right? Like, not that he was totally a secret, but I don't know if people going into this year thought that Zagorowski was like a, you know, a guy that was like, if you don't, if you don't pay close attention, homeboy can have 30 on you. So I think he's starting to get that defensive focal point from the opposition in terms of their scouting report. Uh, but there obviously are, are some, some things that he can do. Like I think, and listen, I'm not saying anything that, that Mac doesn't coach Mac doesn't already know. And that he isn't already doing, um, I think, I think Marcus Zagorowski needs to really continue to push it and transition to see if he can't find some scoring opportunities in the open floor before that length can kind of get to him and that defense can get set. Uh, you know, I think continuing to run him off multiple screens to see if you can get a switch to get a different defender on him or get his defender extended off him is better. I, I do think Zegarowski's continuing to get adjusted to all this, figuring out how to get his stutter step change speeds to still work and be effective, how to get his mid-range shot free. I thought he's better against Nova at those things, but it's a process. The thing about Zegarowski is he's a smart player. He's a worker. He's a sponge. He's a film guy. Like he's going to study all this stuff and make his own adjustments. But like I said a second ago, I've always felt like the best thing to do against length is to move without the ball. Like way back in my day, if I ever had a long guy on me, I always felt like I needed to move. Like I, I, I needed, to, I needed to move without the ball. Hard cuts, relocating, coming off screens hard because what what length. What, when length can size you up and get in a stance, that's where it's challenging. So maybe the other thing is is running Marcus Zagorowski off a few more screens off the ball. That'd be maybe be my my thought too. All right, let's go to a, a little Facebook, uh, some Facebook questions. Eddie, he writes, Nick, as a 24 year old Husker fan, it's gotten worse every year since my birth. It gets better, right? Right? That's from Eddie. Okay, Eddie, that hurts to read. That hurts to read. Yes, Eddie, it's going to get better. Scott Frost going to figure this thing out. I mean, when when you care as much as he does, and you're as smart as Frost is, and you got the runway to 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 build it, which he does with Moose and the fans and all that stuff, he's going to figure it out. One of the things I was thinking about with with Frost is arguably the biggest thing that has hurt Frost is. In, in these first two seasons at Nebraska, he's got he's looked like a young, inexperienced coach at times. These first two years, late game management decisions, et cetera, et cetera. Like he's looked kind of like a young, inexperienced coach. And you know, you forget that this guy has only been a head coach for four. Years. That was his fourth year as a head coach. Four years. You can try like Kirk Ferentz has been a head coach for twenty five seasons. When you can include the three at Maine, 
25. And I get it. Oh, Nick, what about Lincoln Riley? He was, uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I you know, like, uh, again, you can go tip for tat and all that stuff. But like, I think we'd all agree that in life, like experience matters. It matters. So I think, I think Frost is learning and will tighten up those aspects of things. And I think once that happens, look out. Because I think uh, you could argue that one of the biggest things beyond just the, the roster issues and no pass rush and no great receivers this year and, and Martinez's kind of inconsistencies as a sophomore, like one of the things that has been an issue is like there have been some problems with late game management stuff. Like, and I think once Frost tightens that aspect of his game up, like that, you know, that's two wins a year potentially. So it'll get better. I 1,000, 100,000% believe it. Shouts out to Scott Frost and his guns. Miss you, Doug. All right, Brian writes on Facebook. Uh, says, Nick, with respect to your hoops career, which of these scenarios would you have most liked to experience? Number one, win a state title your senior year at Lincoln Southeast where you were unequivocally the guy. Number two, win a national title at Kansas your freshman year where you played very few meaningful minutes. Number three, take Creighton to the final four. Duke beats you in the national semifinals your senior year, and you are a starter, solid contributor, but not the guy. So of those three scenarios, interesting question. You know what? And this might surprise people. Because you would think the bigger the stage, that's what you would gravitate towards in terms of whatever achievement you're hypothetically thinking about. If I, to be honest, I would choose what I felt like I had in my hands and let slip away. And I would choose to try to heal a wound that already exists in my heart than one that doesn't necessarily. So I would honestly choose winning a state title at Lincoln Southeast. My senior, he says my senior year, I had my junior year too. I was the man on that team and we lost in the state finals to Grand Island. So, I mean, your boy lost two straight fucking state championship games. Fuck, right? But I, I was a man on that team. But the, the reason I, chose, I choose a state title is because there's still, there still is a wound in my heart from that. Like, there isn't a wound from Kansas or Creighton because we, we didn't get to where we could taste it and smell it and have it in our hands. It's much different to, like, have something and lose it than to never have it at all. So, like, for me, that's at least how I kind of mentally process his Brian's question. Like, hearing that I have the option to heal up a wound that cut deep and still kind of hurts, that's really appealing to me, <laughs> Right? There isn't a wound from not winning a national title or going to the final four necessarily. Sure. I mean, obviously winning a national title at Kansas or taking Creighton to the final four as a senior captain starter would be amazing. But oddly enough, I'd choose the state title in high school because damn, man, if, if I could heal that wound, man, that would feel good. Man, that would feel good. Mike, uh, writes on Facebook, is there a non-injury scenario where you see Denzel Mahoney starting? His field goal percentage is up dramatically in the last few games. Yeah, it is. Last six games, shooting 55%. Uh, 
uh, okay, let's unpack that question. I mean, uh, as that question made me think of a conversation. As I'm, I feel like I'm name dropping a lot in this in this pod here with like, yeah, sorry, Ned Cooley's done to Jay Wright, but I was, I had Iowa and Illinois yesterday in uh, in Iowa City. Uh, it's great games. God, it was fun to call that game. But I talked up was talking to Brad Underwood, the head coach of Illinois, before the game, and he he started talking about how he really really values bench production. Like he of during we had a I had like a five seven minute conversation with him and he like lit up and perked up and got really enthusiastic when he started talking about uh, he was talking about Andres Feliz who a guy that comes off the bench for him and how important he is but he he is brought up like all the way back to a Stephen F Austin days and now like he thinks it's really important to have a great player to bring off the bench and you know what he's kind of right. I think being able to go to your bench to change the complexion of the game is an important component to a team. So in that regard, I kind of like bringing Mahoney off the bench for Creighton. Gives Creighton a different look. If they're a little flat with their starters, you bring in a, a guy that can score and change the feel of things. And then the other thing is, like, let's not disrespect the lineup of Damian Jefferson and Christian Bishop at the four and the five, too. You know, like, th- that group's got a lot of chemistry. They play really well together. So I don't see this as a pressing thing, but at the same time, if if Coach McDermott said, "Hey man, listen, Denzel Mahoney's one of our five best players. We got to get him on the floor. We're going to start him." I can totally see that. Now, I mean, m- maybe if to to really answer Mike's question, maybe if Creighton hit a stretch here where they were getting off to really bad starts, like consistently bad starts, like they were just. It was 10-2, 11-3, 12-3 at the end of the you know first media timeout where they were like, man, we got to get up to better starts. Yeah, and then I could see Coach McDermott wanting to throw Denzel Mahoney out there to to start. But right now, I think it's kind of I think it's fine the way it is. I think it's fine the way it is. Lincoln Northeast Finest, the head coach of the Columbus Discoverers, and uh, my former teammate at Creighton, Jimmy Motes. What's up, Jimmy? He tweets or he writes on Facebook. Simply puts, Ned Flanders or comic book guy. <laughs> That's tough. Two very good uh, secondary characters on uh, The Simpsons right there. I mean, I, my first thought is I lean Ned Flanders. I mean, Ned Ned is the perfect neighbor for Homer. Like, Homer's just like a, a disaster, d- oblivious, disrespectful, all this stuff. And Ned is just like eternally nice and patient and helpful. I always thought it was hilarious that his, you know, his wife and his kids' names were Mod, Rod, and Todd. <laughs> but I, I, Ned was great. I mean, Ned's a great, but like, man, the, the Simpsons, when you think about comic book guy, the Simpsons captured the essence of a comic book superhero nerd perfect in comic, comic book guy, right? Like, <laughs> overweight and... and and uh, kind of, kind of a condescending a hole, super knowledgeable about only comic book stuff. I mean, just uh, kind of cynical and a harsh critic of things. <laughs> just perfect, right? Of course, you may not worst episode ever. <laughs> just perfect, right? I still think the best character not named Homer is Mr. Burns. Like every single episode of The Simpsons that has a ton of Mr. Burns is always really good. So shouts out to The Simpsons. All right. Uh, Grant, 
uh, I hooped against Grant. Grant Nealon. What's up, Grant? Uh, he he uh, writes on Facebook, mic'd up coaches during college basketball games. Does it provide an advantage for coaches scouting in-game changes? I think, it, yeah, I mean, I think it, it provides it an advantage. Like, I, I know a lot of coaches are like, would just assume, you know, get punched in the face by Mike Tyson then be mic'd up for a whole a, a whole game. I mean, yeah, like, you saw Creighton went to great lengths to withhold a lot of their play calls. Do you notice that? Anybody that watched the all-access game where, where Mac was mic'd up for the whole game? Because you see, what Creighton would do is they wrote a lot of the play calls on the dry erase board, and instead of saying them, like, they would point to them in, like, timeouts or whatnot. And then, and then during the game, they would they'd be like, "Hey, run the first one that we talked about in the time. Hey, run number two, the second. Because sometimes you come out of the timeout and you'd have two plays, right? We're running this, we're running that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a uh, l- listen. Like if uh, you know, we talk about the NCAA tournament. I'm gonna tell you right now. Like let's say, uh, you know, no, I think I saw in one of the latest bracketology, like Nebraska or Creighton is playing Northern Iowa. Well, Northern Iowa's now got, you know, you got a couple days to get prepared for Creighton. If you hear there's an all-access game, oh, that's one of the, that's probably the first game you're going to watch because you're going to see how many calls you can get. And then it's also a window into what coaches kind of value and how their brains think about their team throughout the course of a game, right? You figure out like, because there's sometimes you're like, you'll watch film and be like, God, it looks like they kind of, they... They like this, or they really want to get the ball there. But maybe you listen to the 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 coach, and you realize, oh, they don't want to go there. You know, they may be like, oh man, they really like that. They really like that short roll, pick and roll jumper. Meanwhile, they go to the mic dub, and it's like, quit shooting that shot. And you're like, oh, okay, they don't want to shoot that shot. You know what I mean? Like things like that. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a. I, I think you get an advantage scouting the teams that have uh, that have done the 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 all access. All right, let's go to a couple of email questions and we'll wrap this bad boy up. We're about, yeah, we're about 45 minutes in. Perfect. Uh, Jason emails me. By the way, email nick at nickbaugh.com. I just feel like an a-hole when I say that. It always seems like, yeah, email me nick at nickbaugh.com. By the way, my name is Nick Baugh. It always seems just like, I think like, oh, Mr. Fancy Pants thinks he's pretty cool. Uh, Jason, he writes, uh, Nick, so my New Year's resolution was to lose weight and so far so good. boy. After realizing that beer probably wasn't good for the old weight loss plan, I shamefully have, have to admit that I turned to White Claws. My beer runs have become a shameful no eye contact ordeal in which I am just waiting for the cashier to ask, would you like a set of balls with that? <laughs> so my question, oh wise sage, is is it worth giving away a part of my manhood to save a couple pounds on the scale? That's from Jason and Miller. <laughs> okay, first of all, is White Claw that girly? Like, I, yeah, on the like on the spectrum of of manly to girly drinks, I would say it skews girly, but it's not like a Smirnoff Ice Foo Foo thing or like an Apple Teeny, you know. Like to me, an Apple Teeny should come with a mini skirt and high heels, right? <laughs> like that's what it should come, right? I mean, martini glasses are just like they're they're super feminine looking, aren't they? And by the way, anytime I've ever had a martini, my own like the stress of not spilling that thing is like it's way too much for me. Right? Like, who designed the martini glass? All right, let's start narrow as shit, and we're gonna widen it fucking really wide. 
mean, what? But yeah, it's way too. It's it, the stress of not spilling that thing is enough for me to like not steer clear. I don't like martinis. I I, I had a real. Have you ever had a real martini with olives in it and all that? Oh, I almost like swear to God, I almost spit it out. I had a sip and almost felt like I died. Tasted like. You ever taken out the trash and you like pick up the trash and maybe there's like a leak, like water is dripping out of the bottom. Like to me, like a martini tastes like someone picked up trash and whatever water is dripping out of the bottom of the trash bag, they held up the martini glass to it until it was full. It's awful. But back to Jason's question. Yes, Jason, it's worth it, man. Okay. You got to be, I don't know how old you are, Jason. Uh, You know, I'm 35 and man, it gets, doesn't it get hard? Guys like losing weight and fight like freaking hard, isn't it? Kids and you just get older, working out gets harder, like you get busy and it's just it's hard. So yeah, man, like any any way finding any any way you're losing weight, do it. You know, would you rather would you rather go through a you know 36 seconds of shame as you're buying White Claw, but you're losing weight, or 36 seconds of pride as you're buying Bush Light, but you aren't losing weight? I mean, come on, right? 36 seconds of shame checking out versus like strutting your stuff, walking around like the grocery store. So what you got to do. And listen, man, I'm, I'm far from Mr. Chiseled, ripped, you know, eight-pack ab guy here. I now, I, I, I now have what I call, I have a four pack and a fanny pack. <laughs> got a four pack, but I'm developing a little fanny pack around the belly button area. This is not what I want. But I, I, I read a great bit of advice once. I said, try not to drink a bunch of your calories. Meaning like don't have your liquids add up big time from a caloric standpoint. So if White Claws save on some of those calories, man, it's worth it. By the way, not a huge White Claw guy. Not. I like it for like half a can, and then I'm like, ah, need to go brush my teeth, go to the dentist. But yeah, not a huge white claw guy, but that, that's just me. Hey, good luck, Jason. Keep on, keep on doing your thing. Keep on doing your thing. Um, last question. Wrap this up. Uh, Dan says, uh, Nick, I know how much Kobe meant to you, so sorry for your loss. I respected him for his game and mentality, but I'm learning more and more about him every day now, and my respect for the man keeps growing. The amount of podcasts and interviews he's done post-retirement is amazing, and I'm just now listening to them all. Uh, they're incredible. All of them are inspiring. It hurts more and more uh, now knowing what the world lost. All that being said, we're learning a lot uh, a lot more about him that hasn't been told before because he was so humble. What's the best Kobe story you've heard recently that you've never heard before? Guy, good. I mean, there's there's a hand there's a handful. There's a bunch of really good ones. I mean, first let me say any any random story that just about him being a dad, like any like yeah, he was coaching this, he was doing that, he showed up at some, uh, he showed up at a school function for that. Like I love all those for some reason, but like first of all, there's been by now the viral video of the ESPN anchor the the hashtag girl dad story, just incredible. You know, like just a little anecdote about how how much he loved being a girl dad and all that. It was just, if you haven't, I'm sure everybody's seen it. I need to stop watching that. Like that thing, I've watched that now 74 times and I cried 74 times. I need to stop watching that. I don't know why I keep doing that to myself. 
Uh, so that that story is great. Um, I would say the other one that's the the little tiny one. This is just I, for some reason I, I like this one. There was a story. It might have been Jeff Van Gundy that told the story. Someone told the story that he was. Uh, while on vacation with his family at Disney World in Orlando, he he hit up the Orlando Magic and asked if he could use their practice facility to work out. And they said, yes, but we, you know, we want you to do it when none of our players are around or whatever. And he said, okay, fine. And apparently Kobe Bryant worked out every, every day on vacation at 5 a.m. at the Orlando Magic training facility. So think about this. Now, I've never been to Disney World with a child, but anybody that has a child and and takes them places, you realize like it is it is just an it's it's a blast, but it is an energy draining thing, right? And I couldn't imagine the amount of energy it would take to go all like walk around all day with your kids at Disney World. Like you're on your feet all day, you're walking around, you're oh hey, put this down. Oh my god, don't spill that. Or you want to go over there and stop crying. You gotta go to the bathroom. We just went. Oh my god, we gotta walk. Like, you know, you're just exhausted, right? It's a blast, but it's it's energy draining. And the fact that dude was so committed to his craft that even on vacation, he was getting those 4 30 in the morning, wake up go work out at 5 a.m., and then go be a dad at Disney World for the rest of the day. Like, I, I think that's cool. Um, Then the 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 other story that is amazing. This made the rounds, uh, and it's too long to read, but it's a story about a uh, a family in, in Phoenix. Or there was someone in Phoenix that worked... Uh, in, in pediatric cardiology. And there was a five-year-old dying patient who was a fan of Kobe. And he was from one of the reservations in Arizona where basketball was life, right? And this, this you know, this hospital and the family, they called the, the Lakers were going to play the Phoenix Suns. And they called the Phoenix Suns hoping they could somehow get in touch with the Lakers, basically saying like, hey, is there any way Kobe could sign a basketball or, you know, get the autograph and send it and, you know, it would make this dying five-year-olds, uh, you know, it would it would be amazing, right? Well, according to the story, uh, you know, a day later, they got a call and said, you know, he'll do it. And the family is like, oh, this is great. Okay, you know, we'll bring a ball and he can sign it or whatever. And they said, no. He wants to come and meet the little boy. So the next day, a limousine brought Kobe Bryant to the hospital. And they had to kind of apparently break protocol and sneak him in and all that stuff. And for the better part of an hour, they played basketball, passing back and forth. And this kid was laughing and smiling and... It was just an, an, an incredible moment in time. And they, you know, he autographed several items. And apparently, there's a little anecdote in the story the machines that were keeping him alive were dinging and, and whirring and alarm and all that stuff. And his doctor was just grinning from ear to ear as they, they watched this unbelievable scene. And apparently, as Kobe got back to the limo, he asked, What can I do to help? Is it a financial thing? Because I can take care of that. It, it wasn't, um, 
the little boy had a heart defect and was too ill for a transplant. And so Kobe was just, you know, crushed that he couldn't do more. Um, the, the little kid passed away the following week. Think about that now. Think about that. And about three weeks later, the mom of the kid that, that passed away uh, wrote a letter describing the, the, the power in those moments. She said that they were the most joyful moments in his entire life. And the photos were the only photos she had of him smiling. And according to Kobe Bryant's PR uh, PR people, he did this everywhere. But the deal was no PR, no photos, all that stuff. He so he would just he kind of wanted to be just about you know who he was doing it for. So think about that. The story never heard, right? I mean, dying kid. Last wishes, you know, something with Kobe. Kobe comes, hangs out with him, brightens up this little dude's life. Dude passes away a week later. I mean, that's just, that doesn't give you chills. If that doesn't make you realize how, you know, just incredible of a guy. Yeah, he was flawed. Yeah, he had his shortcomings and all that stuff. But like Kobe Bryant, special, special guy. Special guy. So that would be probably my favorite little anecdote I've read in terms of uh, stories on on Kobe. All right, man. Good place to end it. Uh, good questions, and I, I always appreciate you guys, uh, you know, participating in the mailbag, emails, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Reminder: What am I going to tell you to do? Subscribe to the podcast. All I got to do is click that little subscribe button. And that way you won't miss any of the episodes that we got of the pod. We got, you know, still just scratching the surface of what this podcast is going to be. I'm, I'm loving doing this. Um, and uh, it's it's just a blast. So make sure you subscribe. And while you're at it, giving a, you know, give it a five-star rating and a review. Uh, appreciate you guys taking some time out to make the podcast a part of your, uh, your, your daily routine. Really, really appreciate it. All right, that'll do it for the pod. Um, appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. Oh, Parkville Media Production.